Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder... A bad home life can leave a child feeling powerless. On February 2nd, 1996, a young man who felt like nothing in his life was going well walked into his school and took his frustrations out on the children who bullied him. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Barry Dale Lukaitis, born February 26, 1981, lived in a household filled with dysfunction and rage. His parents, who were still living under the same roof, had separated in 1995 after his mother found out that his father was having an affair. This was the second marriage for both of them. And Barry, the only child still living in the home, was privy to their anger, bitterness, and completely hostile divorce, while his mother, described as a domineering woman, started to distance herself and spoke about suicide in the aftermath of her failing marriage. In an effort to avoid his parents, Barry sought refuge in the pages of Stephen King novels, deep in the chapters of the book Rage, while his parents fought just outside his door. To make matters worse, Barry, who attended Frontier Junior High School in Moses Lake, Washington, was the subject of childhood bullying with kids making fun of his turbulent home life, his large feet, his gangly body, the clothing he wore, and his lack of popularity. According to his friends, Barry was a smart kid, kind of a nerd, but with a dark side that seemed to become more and more powerful as he became more detached, something that his parents didn't seem to notice or take concern with. 
not even when one of Terry's guns disappeared from his car, assuming his ex-wife might have taken it instead of considering his son, who he described as the, quote, most normal of his children, may have taken it. On February 2nd, 1996, Terry Lucatus left early that morning and headed towards his sandwich shop, while Joanne, a few hours later, left to head to their restaurant, leaving Barry, whose school was delayed due to the weather, alone to don his cowboy duster, cut out one of the pockets, and shove his father's rifle down by his side. Armed and ready, Barry walked the mile and a half to school, entered through the back door, and into the empty cafeteria, and headed straight for his algebra classroom. The teacher, 29-year-old Leona Cares, had her back turned to the classroom, writing out an equation on the board. When Barry walked in, pulled out the rifle, and aimed it at 14-year-old Manuel Vela Jr., a boy who had, just a few days ago, called Barry a faggot. The spray of bullets then killed nearby Arnie Fritz, also 14, who was sitting right behind Manuel, and went through the right arm of a 13-year-old girl named Natalie Hintz. He then shot Leona Cares in the back, and she fell to the ground. Before leaving the room, he looked at the rest of the terrified class and said, This sure beats algebra. Adapting the line, this sure beats panty raids from the book Rage. Barry would later say that he did not intend on hitting the other students, having no idea that the spray would end the lives of others. Two doors down, the gym coach, Jonathan Lane, heard some popping noises and went off into the hallway to see where it came from. When he did, he could smell the smoke from Barry's rifle, opened the door, and found the bodies of three students and a teacher lying on the floor just a split second before he saw Barry pointing the gun at him and dove behind the desk. Barry politely and calmly said, Get up, Mr. Lane, to which Jonathan responded, No, Barry, I'm afraid. It was at this point that the vice principal and husband, Stephen Cares, opened the door slightly and saw his wife's body lying on the ground. He called out to ask if she was okay, and Jonathan responded, I think she's dead. Stephen, without missing a beat, closed the door and went for help. Barry then ordered the rest of the class to line up against the back wall, while Jonathan finally came up from behind the desk to try and assess the situation and noticed that one of the girls who had diabetes was getting sick. He asked Barry if he would take her out into the hallway, and he agreed. With his permission, Jonathan carried out the sick girl and then took Natalie Hintz out as well. When he told Barry that it looked like Arnie Fitz might die, Barry responded coldly, so let him die. He then decided that Jonathan Lane was going to be his hostage and said he was going to put the end of the rifle in his mouth, all while police started to file into the school hallway to try and establish communication. Realizing this was going to be his one chance to save his life and the lives of the rest of the students, Jonathan Lane, a champion wrestler in his youth, charged at 14-year-old Barry Lucatus and pinned him and his gun against the wall, ending the 10 minutes of complete horror the algebra class had just experienced. In his wake were the bodies of Manuel Vea Jr., Arnold Fritz, and Leona Cares. In custody, Barry was assessed by a defense psychologist who said that he suffered from either severe depression or bipolar disorder, while the prosecution's doctors diagnosed him with dystemic disorder. Barry, who had been prescribed Ritalin for his hyperactivity, came from a long line of family members suffering from clinical depression, so his diagnosis was not a shock to his family. The way he chose to channel that depression, though, was... 
In June of 1996, the Spokane Court of Appeals gathered to try and decide if the now 15-year-old boy should be tried as an adult or as a juvenile. By this point, Barry was being represented by a public defender, who was later declared incompetent and disbarred completely, allowing for another lawyer to step in just in time for the decision to be made to try him as an adult. He entered a plea of innocence by reason of insanity, and the trial was moved to Seattle so they could find an impartial jury. During the trial held in 1997, lawyers testified that Barry had been experiencing delusional and messianic thoughts and, quote, felt like he was God and would laugh to himself. He felt he was superior to other people. And then those feelings were later replaced by hate, disdain, and not measuring up. His family's history with depression was brought to the jury, and the psychiatrist who met with him a number of times after his arrest testified that he had been psychotic and in a robot-like trance when he pulled the trigger that day. That he was in the middle of a horrific home situation, was being raised by a mother who was bipolar and committed, quote, emotional incest, and who told her young son about her plans to tie up his father and his lover on Valentine's Day and tell them, at gunpoint, how much their affair had affected her. Barry, a child, pleaded with his mother not to go through with her plan and instead just to write about it. His mother would later say she was so preoccupied with her own depression that she never took a second to see how it was affecting her son. The prosecution, however, said that Barry had been planning the shooting for quite some time, getting ideas from the Pearl Jam song, Jeremy, whose music video shows a troubled young boy taking his life in front of his teachers and classmates, but was, due to MTV's anti-violence imagery rules, believed by many to have killed his classmates instead. He also pointed out things like the novel Rage and the films Natural Born Killers and The Basketball Diaries as his inspiration. The jury, after hearing all of this, rejected his insanity defense and found him guilty on two counts of first-degree murder, one count of second-degree murder, one count of first-degree attempted murder, and 16 counts of aggravated kidnapping. He, at the age of 16, was sentenced to two life terms plus an additional 205 years. This was later changed in 2017 to 189 years in prison. He remains behind bars to this day. In the aftermath of the shooting, Jonathan Lane was dubbed a hero, became a principal in another town, came back to teach at Frontier, served on the city council, and was elected as mayor. He even went to Washington, D.C. to testify before the House Committee and meet with the Secret Service and helped with a report on school shooting. He claimed schools put too much false hope in physical security, things like metal detectors or arming teachers, instead of paying more attention to the students' behavior. He also said that parents need to pay more attention to their children, saying schools have become the parent of some kids, and that Barry had no adult at home he felt that he could talk to something Barry seems to agree with, stating that children need to talk things out with their parents before things got so bad that they don't see a way out. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to A Terrible Thing Happened on February 3rd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.